Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. My grandmother would see things and, and she would express them. And so when I was 10 years old, I was 3,000 miles away from her and I was very close to my grandmother and, and we look a little bit alike and we're the only ones in the family that do in that respect. My Both of my parents are redheads. They, we look nothing alike. But so... I was 3,000 miles away and I felt my grandmother's fatal heart attack. And in that moment, I talked to my dad and I was like, have you spoken to Abuela? And he's like, no, 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 but I'll talk to her tomorrow. And it was that moment. And I was scarred by it because I felt it so strongly. It was just this overall sadness. And then a few years later, my uncle Marvin, who's my mother's brother, um, I hugged him and we're Jewish and in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services, which were, you know, a few days, I hugged him. He's very healthy. He ran five miles a day and I had this overwhelming sadness that he was going to die. It would be the last time I would see him. And two days later, he had a heart attack and died. And as a kid, you think you're willing it to happen. I had no one to talk to about it. And I felt like I thought it and it happened. So I shut it down. I didn't want to know from it. I didn't want to hear from it. I didn't want to talk about it. It was definitely scary. And so nothing like that had happened intuitively until um, until this incident where it was my own foreboding that I ultimately heard. I met my husband, married him, moved to Chicago from LA. We worked in, in TV for most of my career. And um, and so just so your audience knows, I'm not a histrionic neurotic person. I, I work extremely well under pressure. My husband's a PhD economist from the University of Chicago, very level-headed, very grounded. Um, and we get married and I moved to Chicago and we have our first child and it was a difficult process having children. So I had to go through IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. It's done outside and inside of the body. And, and, and we had, after three rounds of IVF, we had a beautiful, healthy baby girl after, and the only complication I had was that she was too big and I had to have a C-section, but it wasn't, it wasn't complicated other than that. And then the second child, Jacob, that I got pregnant with, that was after seven rounds of IVF. And, um, and so first half of the pregnancy, the first 20 weeks of the pregnancy, no problem. We had no issue. And at the 20 week ultrasound, I was diagnosed with something called a placenta previa, which is basically where the placenta is growing on top of the cervix. And, you know, it's a one in 200 risk, right? It's, it's, it's very complicated. Basically as the belly grows, as the uterus grows, the placenta will move out of the way and you deliver. But worst case scenario is you have a C-section and okay. I, I've had one before. That's not, I don't have any fear of that. Um, however, when the doctor said I had this placenta previa, I, it startled me. And I look at my husband, I said, I, I have a very rare blood type O negative and which is 7% of the population. I said, I don't want to be special in any other category. And I've have a bad feeling about this. And of course my husband, who's very level-headed says, 
honey, we don't have all the information, relax, you have great prenatal care, you're in great hospitals, um, I think we'll be fine. But, you know, I'm total type A personality and, you know, I'm very research oriented. So I get back to, to the apartment and I'm typing on placenta previa, what's that? Then turns if it happens to turn into a placenta accreta, which is what Kim Kardashian had, where the placenta marries itself to the uterus. If that happens, you might bleed. If that happens, as I keep reading, you might hemorrhage. If that happens, you might need a hysterectomy. And if that happens during the hemorrhage, you and the baby could lose your life. And I sat back and I looked at the computer and I told my husband, I said, this is going to happen to us. The only difference is the baby's going to be fine. I said, but I'm going to be dead on the operating table. I call it a knowing. You don't know how you know, you just do. Okay. You know, when your wife looks at you and says, do not do this. Like she just knows. <laughs> now she might be doing this, like get you to do something, but, but there's certain things men and women have it. I, I hear more women than men like have this more instinct and especially maternal instinct they have this feeling and I, I call it a knowing you don't know how you know you just I just knew this was going to happen and so again my husband's like what you're thinking is going to happen is a half a half a half percent chance of happening and it did not settle me because even though he it made sense to him I mean, my husband was a former air force pilot so for him all the, the mechanics were working fine. All the gauges were working fine. All the tools were working fine. So what's the problem? Because you have a crazy thought in your head that you, maybe, maybe there's too much testosterone running through your body with this baby boy, right? So he's just thinking like all of these crazy things. So I was like, okay, fine. So I didn't just talk to him. I talked to everybody. I talked to nurses, doctors, you know, every visit I had, I told the, the doctors, this was going to happen. This was going to happen. They're like, Stephanie, there's no indication that this is going to happen. And in their defense, the tests were negative. So at some point um, I was told that if I deliver and I have an emergency situation where I need a hysterectomy, the my OB will not be the one to do the procedure. They will transfer to maternal fetal medicine. So, but I don't want an MFM to do it. I want a, gynoc to, a gynecological oncologist to do it. And the reason why you want a gynoc to do it is because they have more experience with high risk reproductive organ surgeries. And with that, um, that information and armed with that, I made an appointment with the head of gynoc at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, which is a huge teaching hospital, which delivers 12,000 babies a year. It is not easy to get an appointment with a gynoc the head of gynec, when you are not suffering from any kind of cancer, you are a healthy pregnant woman, you have no diagnostics that tell you that you need a hysterectomy. So ultimately, Jonathan went with me to each and every appointment with with me, probably because, again, he didn't want to get divorced. So he's sitting with me <laughs> in this, this waiting room with all of these women. And so they have IVs in their arm. They have no hair on their head. They have, they're suffering from, from cancer and they're barely surviving. And so he's like, I am embarrassed to be here. And I said, I don't know what to tell you because I, everybody's telling me that all they see is an open highway and I see an 18 wheeler headed straight for me. And so maybe this doctor has heard of a patient who has these kind of foreboding thoughts and maybe just maybe they will give me something to do or some sort of homework assignment due to, to give me some diagnostics about this is what's actually going on in my body. 
So we go in, we meet the head of Gainan. He's like, Ms. Arnold, how can I help you? The the resident is taking notes. And the guy goes, I explained, my placenta previa is going to turn into an accreta. I'm going to need a hysterectomy. My husband likes to say that it was very mafia-like. It's like, I see you, you see me, you're my doctor. <laughs> and so, That's awesome. so he goes, so he sits back, the resident stops talking. And he's like, um, Mrs. Arnold, have you been on the internet? And I was like, why, yes, I have, doctor, but this is going to happen. And he's like, okay, what I'd like you to do is I would like you to, to have an MRI. If the MRI is positive for an accreta, then I will schedule myself at your mandatory C-section at 37 weeks, and then we will take care of it then. And I felt better because now I had something to do, maybe a little bit more invasive that wasn't going to hurt the baby, but at least to give me more information. I do the MRI. The MRI is negative for an accreta. Jonathan says, you should feel better. And I said, I feel worse because now I'm running out of people to tell this crazy foreboding story to. You know, luckily my husband says that I am the love of his life. <laughs> and, and yeah, and he is, he is mine. Um, but I think that if you don't have a strong enough foundation for that love, you're going to be like, this bitch is crazy and I'm out, right? Like, you know, I'll, we'll deal with a custody situation after he, you know, what, I sound, I, I know, I totally understand his point of view. I mean, even on the Netflix show that we're on, you can see the way that he talks and the way that I'm rolling my eyes at him because, you know, but his brain functions a certain way and I cannot someone who thinks in data and science and how his foundation is built i cannot you know change his way of thinking to to adapt to mine right so so i it took me a long time to understand that um years even because i felt i wasn't listened to i wasn't protected so what ended up happening was um we we get to a point where my doctor's like okay well, why don't you have consultation with anesthesia um I said, fine. I have a phone call with anesthesia. She's like, I explain what's going to happen. They say, you know, this is where you recover, that you have epidural. And again, I go through my whole spiel. And so she's like, you know, Mrs. Arnold, we're in a teaching hospital. We prepare for all of these emergencies. Um, I hope I made you feel better. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I said, she said, I'll never forget the last words you said. And the last words I said were, it is what it is, right? This was the last, the last person I could talk to. That's it. So then I took to Facebook. I said, um, if anyone has my blood type, I'm going to need it. Jonathan was like, no, don't send that. Because then he's getting phone calls. What's going on with stuff? You know, what's it? And it's not that I said, I wrote, if anybody has my blood type, I'm going to need it. Not that I believe that they could submit their blood, but maybe again, just like with the guy not, maybe somebody had a crazy relative that, that had this kind of foreboding. And what does that mean? You know, maybe they could, they could tell me, I think you should try this kind of test. And maybe because I was racing against the clock. If you imagine being buried alive and you imagine like you're sitting there and you're just waiting and, and people are tossing the dirt on top you. I'm like, I'm trying to take my last breath. And by the way, when somebody gives you an expiration date and says, okay, this is the day that you're going to die. And they say, spend the time with your family, enjoy those moments, have those fun times. You know, I failed all of that. I didn't do any of that because 
in serio, because all I did was focus on like, how am I going to save my life? No one is listening to me. So I have to do this. And so Jonathan would spend really beautiful time with the family and trying to calm me down. And I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm gonna die. I was in Starbucks at one point. One, one woman says to me, oh, how's your pregnancy going? I'm like, I'm going to die. Like I told everybody, but it was, it became, I mean, you'd think it was a joke. And so like, even in gym, the trainer's like, you know, you're not going to die. Get up and do this workout. I said, no, I'm, I'm being serious. This isn't a joke. And so like, they all think it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. At 36 weeks to the day, my husband is on a business trip and I'm giving my daughter breakfast and, you know, I start bleeding on the kitchen floor and I know that today's the day. So I send him a text saying, you know, we're going to deliver today. And so he stops meeting. He gets on a plane. We're Skype chatting when I'm triaged at the hospital. The doctor said, you know, the ORs are very quiet right now. I know you've been stressed this whole time. Let's go ahead and get Jacob out. Um, Adina was playing and, you know, I kissed her a million times, um, because I was convinced it was the last time I was ever going to see her. And then I'm Skype chatting with my husband and I told him he's made me the happiest woman in the world. And I love him and please don't blame this child and please take care of our children. And, you know, and it was more like my goodbye letter to him and he still wasn't getting it. So he said, where do I meet you? And I said, the eighth floor recovery, hopefully. And that was the last um, conversation I had. So they take me down to the OR and I try one more time. I tell my doctor, there is something wrong. You need to put me under general anesthesia. And she's like, Stephanie, I'm not going to put you to sleep. I know you're nervous, but Jonathan, because Jonathan's not here, but I'm here for you. If I put you to sleep, I put the baby to sleep. It's not good. And that was it, right? Epidural in, I'm delivering this baby no matter what. And they're wheeling me into the room that's going to give life to my son. And I am, I'm 100% convinced that this is the room that's going to take my life. So they set me up. When you have a C-section, your arms are in a T, there's a curtain in front of your face. The room is really cold and it's bone chilling cold for me because the fear is palpable now because I know the minute that he gets delivered, I am no longer here. So imagine that you can see the 18 wheeler headed straight for you. They, no one else can see it. No one else. Everybody is looking at the clock, doing their job. You call doing roll call, everything else. They cut, they take care of Jacob. Jacob's delivered happy and healthy, no problem. And seconds later, I'm dead. Flatline. I flatlined for 37 seconds. They re they got me back up. Um, they intubated me and taped my eyes shut. And then the second part of um, an AFE starts, which is your body's inability to clot blood. And so your normal body has 20 units of blood. I was given 60 units of blood and blood product to save my life. So they... Jacob is fine, healthy, removed and put into the nursery. They put... They stabilized me with a a ball, a Bakker ball inside and they, they stabilized the hemorrhage and that's when Jonathan arrived. And so when Jonathan gets to the hospital, he texts the doctor, you know, how, how's everything? And she says, Jacob's fine. Stephanie's stable. And he's smart enough to know that's not good. 
So he gets to the consultation room, anesthesiologist comes in, different anesthesiologist, the intending that was there on my case. And she says, do yourself a favor, do not look up what an amniotic fluid embolism is because when you look it up, it's a widower's site. It's like all of the different um, versions of what happens. It is, um, and then then he said before she left that if she needs a hysterectomy, this is the doctor we met with two months before. And she took note of it, she thought it was odd, um, but she's like, she's stable right now. So he returns to the surgical ICU, I'm on life support. They put me in a medically induced coma and seven hours later they show that I'm still bleeding. And uh, they call in the gynoc that I had met with to perform the hysterectomy. They do the pathology on the uterus and they show that an accreta had started to form, but where the MRI was, where they, the attachment was, it was too early. Don't know, they, it didn't pick up, um, but it was there. And so that leaves everybody with a scratch in their head, right? So on day six, um, I had kidney failure. I had all this too. I mean, you can take a look at any photos anywhere online, but it was pretty bad. And no one knew, they knew that I was oxygenated, but they didn't know how much neurological deficit, how much would be. And so they extubate you to see where you are. And as soon as they extubated me, I looked down at my swollen belly because I'm severely edemic. I look still pregnant. And the very first thing I, I said was, am I so fucking pregnant? And so Jonathan, Jonathan at that moment was like, she's going to be okay. <laughs> so I knew where I was, but it took, I was in the hospital for a month. And during that process, I had every department in me, on me, around me. And it's their residence because it's a teaching hospital. And they're like, I'm like, they're like, how did you know? And I was like, I don't know, you guys tell me. And they're like, well, foreboding exists prior to an embolus or heart attack, but moments before, maybe a day before, but three months before in the detail that you had, no, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what that is. And one doctor actually said, um, I think you need to go spiritual on this one. And that didn't, didn't set right with me in the moment. I, when we first, you know, it was, it was hard for me to process everything. So, so I get home, I, you know, I'm trying to acclimate friends, family, I'm shell-shocked. Um, physically, I'm getting better. I'm out of wheelchair. I get off the, the ports, my kidneys go back online. But psychologically, I'm totally messed up. And I was on a talk show and I started to share the story because I went into producer mode. Okay, how can the story help others? Intuition and sharing this. And I, you know, my feeling was, the more I share the story, almost like third person, the further I am away from my trauma. So I, I give a reason, oh, this is the reason this happened. But it was, it was hard for me to deal with the fact that this all happened to me. So I felt like I was telling a story, right? And so then I go, um, at some point, the therapist was like, you know, we can help you get out the trauma. I said, first, I need you to help me to understand how it is I saw everything ahead of time. And they were like, you know, let's not worry about that right now. I said, no, see, you don't understand. I feel like I, 
I, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I manifested this, you know, what happens if I think of myself having a heart attack, am I going to have a heart attack? And now everybody, including you, as you're sitting there, if you had heard this story for months and you watch the whole thing come down, you'd be like, damn, okay, well, she obviously is feeling something like, I don't want to be in her line of sight. What happens? Right. You know, it's like, it's really tough. Um, so, so anyway, so we go, um, you know, I said, okay, well, let me talk to somebody. So a friend of mine, a Latina friend of mine said, I think you should go meet with this Cuban, um, what's it called? A regression therapist and regression uses hypnotherapy to take you back into the moments of trauma. So what the, the hopes are is that you could be the observer in those traumas. It's like your, your memory all right, those memories are like film strips stored in your head. And through this hypnosis, you can access them. The pain will not be as severe as it was the first time around, but you can in a calm way, look at things and everything around you. And I really wanted to understand. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. What happened during those three months before was I given messages by someone or special force outside of my own was I, you know, what happened during the 37 seconds? Cause people wanted to know, what did I see? And then, um, what happened after? And so I've been able to partner with mind Valley to present you guys free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship taught by spiritual masters, yogis, spiritual thought leaders, and best-selling authors. Just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. 